This episode contains candid discussion about suicide. Listener discretion is advised. It's okay to cry, little girl. You're too young to know why, little girl. You don't have to die, it's not your fault. The theater, the theater. Theater. To be or not to be. Theater. Theater. The plane's the thing. Oh, hi, friends. How are uh, you? Oh, oh, hello. Oh. It's hello. funny to bump hi. into you here. Yes. And you. And you're looking and cute today, both of you. Thank you. And you, you've got... I did my PM skincare. Yeah? How's that? Yeah. I good. I got my retinol on. Nice. I did my I did my um what do you call it? My toner. Skin, my skin toner. No, I have been yeah. doing it every day. I've been pretty religious about good. it. Good. And you my do dark circles. I do. I do just twice circles? a day. But I do I do the I do my facial wash and yeah. then I do a scrub de, defoliating. Hot. Well, it looks great. It's working. Exfoliating. I love I got everything my pussy about it. Shaved. Oh you yeah, did get beautiful your pussy cut. shaved. <laughs> I wish this wasn't an audio format uh, uh, so that people could see that you're talking kitty. about your cat, which is shaved. My yes. twenty-pound Maine Coon has been shaved of his pride. He's the nicest oh, cat ever for the next two months. Oh, I bet you he enjoys the cool though. He is. He's been in a pretty good mood since I brought him back from the group. Flat as a feather. It's like after, yeah. like when we used to have Mo, our former cat here in the apartment, who sadly <clears throat> passed away. But Mo was a great cat, and Mo would take dumps, and then he would do his post dump, light as a feather, run oh, through yeah. the apartment like, yes, the I'm free. I'm light free. as a feather, stiff as a board. I'm stiff yeah. as a board. Whoa. Cut that out. Uh, okay, so, yeah. No, we, we're going to keep it in. We had our first preview of our show this past weekend. Yes. It was very exciting. I was worried you... I didn't know how to do it anymore. Well, yeah. You well. Know you <laughs> do you? <laughs> no, oh, boo. You're phenomenal. We had uh, notes. No, it was great. It was it was really exciting to because one of the complaints that we had not complaints, but one of the issues that we were dealing with is we were doing rehearsals is we we didn't have much of an audience. We had kind of like a seven person guest house one sure. time. But to have an audience reacting to it and reacting very well to it. A lot of great laughs, a lot of surprise laughs, a lot of surprise gasps in it. Like people were Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Like we pulled it off, guys. So come see it. three guys, one group on at the Hollywood Fringe, playing at the Broadwater Main Stage. Uh, visit uh, HollywoodFringe.org and get your tickets. And for our audience members, if you use discount code GROUPON with a capital G, you'll uh, you'll save five bucks. 
I did good. Got did I hype it? You got it. You did it. Well done. Yeah. yeah, no, we got a show. And you know, at the end of the show, we'll talk more Fringe because in our LA Spotlight, like we've been seeing some Fringe shows, y'all. We've been yeah. seeing some Fringe shows. I've already seen two that were, well, no, I, I've seen two, but I've seen one that was for the award that we're sponsoring. Very exciting. <laughs> um, it's the Theater Theater Playwright Award. And uh, <laughs> why is it called that? Well, this podcast is... Uh, <laughs> about that yeah welcome welcome to it (laughs) welcome to theater theater the theater podcast for theater nerds made by three theater makers from the la theater scene i'm jay bailey burcham i'm cj merriman i'm scott leggett and each week we get together and we discuss we debate we disseminate the evolutions of the great that was cute right great playwrights by taking a macro look at three of their plays and this is part two of three of our mini-series covering the works of Marsha Norman. That's right. Well, Marsha. Cast Podther. <laughs> now, that was like a funny, Marcia, sweaty Marcia, Marcia. name for a... Uh, yeah, that was a funny, sweaty name for a, a podcast mini-series. But then I remembered what this play was. And now part of me feels a little bad for like... Sure painting the name of this play <laughs> sure no in context it doesn't work out of context hilarious we're, we're geniuses marcia's thrilled i know it i can she, feel it she called me last night and Did told she? me she's not but i understand yeah uh, and but she's calling will... she's calling from the coast too that's a big time that's difference right. yeah 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 Late <laughs> at night, she, calls me, she calls me at 2 a.m um her time not mine bailey uh, this what? podcast huh i'm just I'm impersonating her giving you a phone call at two in the morning. Oh, that was her? Yeah, cute. Bailey. Hi, Marcia. Yes. <laughs> I think she's got a little twang on her, though. Bailey, this no. podcast. She's from Kentucky. She's from Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, Bailey. I just paint with this podcast, Bailey. Oh, my God. It's like British people trying to do American. <laughs> Get off of my pizza. <laughs> you know, one of the best people give Benedict Cumberbatch a lot of shit for his accent work in other stuff when he does American. Like, specifically Doctor Strange, a lot of people were like, oh, shit. And I'm like, oh, "Oh, I don't think so, but other people think so. I rewatched Power of the Dog recently, and I was like, that might be some of the best accent work done by a British actor. It's a hard, it was a hard, he went for a hard one to try and figure out. It works. Tom Holland does a pretty damn good job as far as Marvel that's true because he hits accents. the midwestern like just like no accent kind he's of he's so damn cute like, yeah yeah like that. middle america but but to tackle like that weird of a deep-seated thing is is pretty cool that he, yeah. he pulled that off um anyway we're covering Martian norman <laughs> Martian norman we have three uh, shows that we're covering last week we covered circus valentine which we had we have thoughts on. Go, go listen to it. Uh, this is a this, good episode. So did she. She had thoughts on it, too. She had thoughts on it, yeah. She did. And then next week, we're going to be covering Bridges of Madison County, the musical, which I'm also Oof. excited to talk about. Because at some point, we should probably just do a Jason Robert Brown series. And it's Jason Robert Brown. I, get there. I am here for it. Yeah, that'd be super fun. But <sighs> today, we're covering a, a, a different play. Uh, it's uh, the namesake of our podcast uh, uh, miniseries. It's... Cast Potter. No, it's Night <laughs> Mother. Yeah. Uh, apostrophe N I G H T, comma, Mother. Mm-hmm. 
is the title. Uh, this was written in what year? I think 81. Your mm-hmm. dog. How's that dog? Yeah. That's my building. Los Angeles living. <laughs> Korea town. Spotlight <laughs> on Los Angeles living. Oh, they're remodeling the apartment above me, and I work Ooh. from home. So it was just like seven hours of... They're retrofilling my apartment right now. My building right now. So like I have to get up at 7.20 every morning to move my car out of the parking lot. I do too. And it's K-Town, so there's no fucking parking. I do too, and I have to... And I live a block... I, I work a block away. So I have to move uh-huh. my car to nowhere. <laughs> to nowhere so you can walk to work. Um, to walk to work. No, it's, yeah, I'm same thing's happening here. I guess L.A. is under a giant retrofit. I think they know something's coming. They're, they're, they're not telling <laughs> us, but Godzilla's about to come out of the ocean and they need everything to be sturdy. Uh, Listen, it's a good time. It is. In history, too. Sure, We're keeping it light. Sure. We're keeping it happy today, y'all. There's a lot of, this is, today's going to be a, a downer. It's... We're covering Night Mother today, and I I have a lot of thoughts. This is this is one that has like lived in the, the everyone knows this play. I feel like even outside of theater people, it's oh, kind sure. of just this known entity. Sure. And I I think we're gonna we, there's a lot to say and there's a lot to talk about. But before we get there, yes, there's something I want to do, and I want to get through it quick because yeah. I found out that uh remember last last time when i tried to defend circus valentine is like everyone had a few that weren't so great (laughs) after doing some research and not really being able to find like any reviews of a lot of these plays i don't know that that's a true defense of circus valentine anymore we'll get Mm, there yeah okay (laughs) we'll get there we'll get Um, there what are we what what are you about to do i think you should tell the audience what you're about to do oh well, it's a very minion-y sound. Oh, should I? Okay, yeah, I'll make the sound. I'll, yeah, it sounds like that. Let me let me make the sound with my with my voice box. Hold on one sec. Yeah. Chronology. That was good, right? I'm it sounded good great. That. Wow. Yeah. You really, yeah it's a, Almost sounded exactly really like the stinger. Voice actor. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I can just do like crazy shit. Um. Chronology. So we're doing the chronology. That wasn't funny. Was that funny? I don't it's know if hilarious. that was funny. We're no, going to find out later. We'll find, yeah. Yeah. Write us and tell us if it wasn't funny. Guys, Write we're past our 100th episode at this yeah. point. Like, Senioritis. Yeah, we've got it. This is like 102. Game. But I also like... <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I also like love this podcast and I love you guys and this is so much yeah. fun. So yeah, then. no, it's a blast. Uh, okay. Forward to it. We're doing the chronology. So... We talked a little bit about it last time. Her first work that gets any notice that is it's the, her first full play. It's called Getting Out in 1977 and it was uh first produced as like a humanifest um kind of, it, it, she wrote it when she was at Actors Theater of Louisville, but it actually mm-hmm. was first produced at the Marymount Manhattan Theater in 1978. And then it was off-Broadway in 1979, starring one Kevin Bacon. No shit. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Yes. Uh, Lord like Bacon himself. It was right before he Lord left. Bacon. <laughs> I think he left that to go do Animal House. I think he got Animal House. Oh, what really? a great choice. Yeah, I think um, so. 
Yeah, he was I playing am... like Ronnie. He was playing like a young Ronnie. Young yes, I am currently like a little over halfway through this script. I finally cracked it open today. Do you like it? I I do like it. I feel like uh, it is doing what Orange is the New Black was trying to do about 25 years before Orange is the New Black. Huh? Oh, interesting. Or like, yeah, I mean, based on the what it's about, it's almost like it's the, the last 20 minutes of Shawshank Redemption all put into a play. It's, the, it's a female prisoner who is released from prison who returns home in Kentucky, where Marsh is from, and mm-hmm. uh, tries to live a normal life, but her past keeps kind of intruding on that. It's just it's just kind of a story of how of of the cyclical lifestyle of being in the criminal justice system and sure. kind of how fucked you are. Yeah. <laughs> from the beginning. And I don't know that even her, she, I mean you said like it's 25 years before Orange is the New Black and I'm like I don't even know that she's being novel about this. Like I, think I don't this think she's being novel. And, yeah. I mean for what I appreciated about Orange is the New Black of like telling stories about women that nobody that people wouldn't normally hear the stories about. Sure. Like that's kind of the feeling I'm getting from it. And she did spend time in a women's prison, uh, mm. uh, writing this, I believe. Oh, interesting. Or there's, we talked about it last time. There's something more specific. I can't remember, but like she has experiences with this somehow. Um, yeah. I'm she worked. A, she was, yeah, sad. she was a social worker and a counselor. And, that's what and, it was. She worked there. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. She, she was um, dialed in. So then uh, she writes Circus Valentine after that, which, as we said, uh, doesn't do so well. And she admits was, you know, a big learning curve for her. And and, and worst uh, moment in her career was having to go backstage the night after the reviews dropped and talk to the actors. Because they had all, like, really been in love and thought they were making something great. Then in 1983, she does – she writes Night Mother, which we will soon discuss. After that, then very next year, she writes Traveler in the Dark. And this is about a man named Sam, and it did star Sam Waterston originally. Wow, no shit! Sam a young Waterston. Sammy. No yeah. shit! Who I love. I yes. love Sam How can you not? So good. Um, and he plays, I think he plays the lead, uh, who is this brilliant surgeon whose faith in medical science gets shaken because he discovers that he can't save the woman he loves from cancer and starts being like, well, then it must not be my God anymore. And it gets into like faith and, and, and medicine and science and all that kind of stuff. And it sounded kind of interesting, but if you want the truth, like I couldn't find a lot of info. Like you can find the original production. There's like a website page for it, but there's Mm -hmm. not a lot of reviews. There's not, it doesn't get produced Mm -hmm. a lot. Kind of interesting. Uh, and then in 1987, I thought this was worth um, shouting out. She does a lot of TV and books and stuff. She wrote a book called The Fortune Teller in 1987. But then right after that, um, uh, oh, excuse me. This isn't right after that. This is uh, a, a decade before that. I don't even know why I threw in the 1987 thing right there because I'm, I'm going out of order. Before Night Mother, she does a couple of one acts that I want to shout out. Okay, mm. and it's they're both written in '78, but she calls them Third and Oak, and the oh, first yeah. one is oh, okay. called The Laundromat, and the second one is called The Pool Hall. Right. Um, and these were first produced in '78 and not produced for real until way later. Um, but they were uh, Actors Theater of Louisville, and they have been made into both have been made into TV movies, which is oh okay. So one of them, which was directed by Robert Altman, hmm. starring Carol yeah. Burnett, 
Yeah. Uh, it's called The Laundromat. It was on HBO. Yeah. It was produced for HBO. Um, and it's about a young woman whose husband hasn't come home um, and she's worried about him. And uh, she encounters an older widow in a laundromat in the middle of the night. And I don't know what else happens, but I kind of just want to find that Carol Burnett, Robert Altman movie. Hell that's fucking cool. yes. And then um, The Pool Hall was also in 78, and it's uh, under the title Third and Oak as well. So I assume these are, like, on the same street or something. I don't, I don't know what the connection is. Um, but it's about a young DJ who arrives at the pool hall next door uh, uh, to match wits and play pool with uh, the man who has stood in for his father his whole life. What does that mean? I don't know. Again, it sounds wow, interesting. interesting. Well, she nice. really um, goes for like the pop culture things. Like I'm does. writing something for this time yes. in history. You'll as see to something that can be more redone. Interesting. Yes. It's yeah. so interesting you brought that up because she does that even more as we go. Love it. Um, so then uh, uh, that pool hall was made into a movie. It was originally written for Joe Morton, but they made a movie starring James Earl Jones. <gasps> And Mario Van Peebles. Um, and then uh, Gladys Niederlander directed and produced it, which is kind of interesting. So then um, after that, 1983, we're skipping ahead again. Uh, the Hold Up is a play that I'm kind of interested in. I couldn't find a yeah, whole lot I've of... Yeah, I've heard about this. And yeah. I, yeah, yeah, nobody knows about it or can't It sounds it. weird, maybe bad. I don't know. It's based on her grandfather's stories of his childhood in New Mexico. So I guess oh, he shit. used to tell these stories over and over again, and she just got them in her head. It's called The Hold Up. It's about two brothers who get this held up. This is in the book that we found. It is. So it's it's Third a... and Oak. Yeah, there's collected plays. There's a lot of uh, collected plays. Um, but two brothers are held up in a shack by an Old West outlaw. I don't – it sounds kind of interesting. Um, and then, like, a pool hall dancer shows up, and sex things happen. And it's, like, absurdism. It's, like, her right. doing absurdism. It's, like, constant tonal shifts – and it didn't do well because people were like, what is the the person who wrote Night Mother wrote this? You know what I mean? Like, it <laughs> yeah, was, yeah, yeah. All right, all that right. That kind of thing. Uh, it was the same year, actually, as Night Mother, so I don't know that there was too much of a comparison, but it's just very, very different. And again, like I said, she might be just trying to find a voice. She's just throwing shit at the wall until something works. Night Mother just happens to be the one that catches on. Uh, but there was a San Francisco reviewer who saw this play who his his big quote was, who does she think she is? Neil Simon? <laughs> How dare she? Um, okay, so then after that, uh, uh, for the Humanifest again, Actors Theater of Louisville, 1987 to 88, she writes this play called Sarah and Abraham. Okay. It's the biblical story of Sarah and Abraham. The New York Times described it, because it got produced at one point, as two plays at once. But then I didn't have a subscription to the New York Times, so I didn't read the rest of it. Yeah, I see. Um, God damn it. York it was like, you met it. your... <laughs> yeah, I had read three this week, I guess. Um, and Go then... into incognito mode. You can do it. Exactly, you're all. right. <laughs> but uh, I guess this is this is interesting because, like you were saying, Siege, like, this is, it feels kind of of the time. It's, it's an improv theater company. Mm-hmm. This is the plot. An improv theater company works its way toward a classical production of the Sarah and Abraham Bible story. Okay. Revealing that... Now, this is where it sounds interestingly not good. 
Um, revealing that the same gender and marital conflicts that existed in Bible days are still present in the rehearsal room. <laughs> and I'm kind of like, sounds like now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just he still like, won't take correct. out the garbage. But yeah. now it's a Roe v. Wade play, right? <laughs> but I'm a little bit like, yeah. But also like, you know, it's the '80s. We're not saying Is the all next this play shit out loud. Completely based around a payphone. Yes, it's called. <laughs> Phone the payphone. Uh, yeah, no. Phone this booth. is this this next one is called uh, "Loving Daniel Boone." She writes right. this in '91. Um, so my dad's side is distantly related to Daniel Boone. That means that you're distantly related to Daniel. Yeah, Boone. we're the whitest white people that ever, that ever whited. Was Boone English? Was that yes? His? I mean, well, he, he like was, discovered he the a... discovered the West. I'm saying that with heavy quotes. He was sure. an American. Yeah. I mean, of oh. European descent. Oh. Whoa. Yeah. My family sucks. All right. Go uh, on. I'm sorry. Great. Good, good to know. <laughs> Loving Daniel. We love Daniel Boone, apparently. Uh, 91 <laughs> to 92. Uh, no, this was commissioned for the 200th anniversary of Kentucky. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> that sounds like every summer in my area in Illinois, in Jacksonville, they have Chautauqua, which is like the Civil War reenactment. Sure. sure. Oh, yeah. Like week. Yeah. Except we were technically, I mean, we're the land of Lincoln, but they do all kinds of. I mean, when it's a 200th anniversary, and... you're going to do something. They I, do it every yeah, I mean... summer. Where well, that's I'm what I'm from. saying. This, I don't think that's that. I don't think this is that. I think this was a major. Uh, bicentennial celebration. Right. Uh, right. But here we go. Here's another one, kind of what you were talking about, Siege. A woman who works in a history museum has found a way to travel back in time and live with Daniel Boone. Cute. A man who is sentenced to community service in the museum falls in love with her and has to travel back to Boonesboro <gasps> to fight Daniel Boone for her. Actually, that sounds a lot of like a lot of fun. So yeah, this guy who is doing community service—he's been sentenced to community service. So I wonder how she handles that. He goes back mm-hmm. in time to fight for his love against Daniel Boone. <laughs> I don't know that this is going to be a good play, but maybe. I just want there to be a musical number about fighting for the love of a modern-day woman against Daniel Boone. Well, apparently, it's like a true comedy. Laugh out loud. Marsha believes this is her funniest play. All right. Thank you, Marsha, for your commentary. <laughs> for your honesty. Yeah. Uh, after that, she does some. She does a lot of one acts here and there, but she does this one called uh, "Lunch with Ginger." She around that time she also writes a play called Trudy Blue, uh, uh, but it doesn't get produced till 1999. So it's a minute till Trudy Blue comes up. Okay. Uh, but I'll tell you about that in a second. But in 1991, still. Uh, she does her first major musical. This is The Secret Garden. <gasps> the secret it's a musical garden. stage adaptation secret of the novel. Garden, and I go to it when I'm scared. <laughs> I, I don't. I'm making shit up. Okay, so musical stage adaptation of the novel by Frances Hodgson Burnett, uh, and it was a collaboration with Lucy Simon. I've seen this play a few times. I actually saw it, or this musical, I saw it once at Thespian Conference in Wichita, Kansas at the uh, Century 2, because every year a, a, a production would get invited that 
these people felt like was like the best production of, amongst the high schools in the in the surrounding Midwestern states. And oh, so yeah. uh, they came and it was very good. I remember being like hella impressed. I was like, this 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 musical's good. I kind of like it. I don't. I also saw it when I was a kid one time. Uh, I I remember the set being really beautiful. I remember there's a lot of cool stage magic with like there's someone behind a painting who normally it's like a painting normally and or like a mirror normally and then sometimes it's like her mother singing to her but like the way the stage magic works is really cool. Very Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. Very Phantom. Fun yeah. Uh, but I I like Secret Garden. Do you guys like Secret Garden? Secret Garden. I I, I like do Secret. I do I um I I have a little bit of a connection with it because um. Uh, what's her did name? You played the little girl on Broadway. <laughs> I did. I did. Of all of the I did. inappropriate things that can uh, be. No, I was a huge fan. I, I discovered the book when I was. Um... <laughs> you had a lot of sex in Secret Gardens. Is I that did. I did. But I read the book when I was a kid. Put it in my really Secret Garden. It. How about that? Um, but I also worked with Daisy Egan, who worked oh, won, won the Tony for that. Right. You know? Of course. And right. so yeah, so there was a lot of talk about. Uh, secret garden and stuff was when... she the ridge little she girl? was the ridge and she's the youngest i wonder of... if i saw her when i was like eight years old she was the youngest Probably. tony winner ever yeah wow. like i saw the first tour after it was done on broadway yeah wow which um, is interesting sure. because the does she only still kid... have that award is she still the youngest i feel she like she still holds that record yeah she's oh, wow. still the youngest one yeah wow. i think she was um, 12 11 or 12 I, it's interesting because Secret Garden was like my second professional theatrical experience, but I still compared it to Phantom of the Opera years later because a lot of their set layouts are the same. Mm. Yeah. Like the, the, the cemetery set layout, it's just a big wall that's center stage that people can stand on top of or go behind. And like, <laughs> there was a lot of Phantom of the Opera similarities that I made when I was a kid. Because Phantom was my favorite forever. I can't wait until we get to Andrew Lloyd Webber. But you have to bring up this song also, Bailey. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah we love secret garden um What's i almost next? covered it yeah i decided not to it was too close to the other things uh so then after that she does another musical uh it, she writes the book for the red shoes in 1993 um lyrics by norman and bob merrill um, who were credited? He, he, um, Bob Merrill was credited as uh, Paul Stryker for some reason. Uh, and then it sounds like a porn <laughs> name. Weird. It sounds like I a know. gay porn name. I will, well, Paul and speaking Stryker. of porn, all I was thinking was Red Shoe Diaries. What's what's that? That was a Showtime thing. It was like dirty. It was a dirty. Where if I turned show. it to ninety nine at midnight on my regular cable TV, I could see like static boobs. Static hot. boobs, yeah. I don't know anything about that, but that's hot. I I don't know what you're talking about. Red Shoes is a Hans Christian Andersen story. Uh, <laughs> it's 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 one of those old you know grim esque and, and it's also a very famous film. Hans Christian Andersen, which is a, a gorgeous yeah. sort of masterpiece. Didn't film. Hans Christian Andersen also write like the little original Little Mermaid? And yeah. Stuff oh like yeah, 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 yeah. Like OG, OG, OG. Uh, but it's also sort of based on the 1948 film. And it's like a young ballerina who performs in yes. uh, in a 1845 version of the Hans Christian Andersen. Oh, it's like okay. Very meta. Uh, it sounds interesting though. Uh, people like this musical. It gets produced. Um, and then that's Never when seen it. that's when Trudy Blue gets 
produced, which she had written around 91, but it gets produced in 1999. It also was part of the 94 Humana Festival, but wasn't like fully produced. It was just published. Um, but it's about a woman who has received a diagnosis of a terminal illness, hmm. and she tries to make sense of her life, her fantasies, hmm. her future, and her alter ego, which is the main character in all of her novels that she writes, which now I would say is has been done a million times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe not mm-hmm, then, mm-hmm, maybe not in the 90s, mm-hmm. but I feel like it had. I feel like that's... It's, oh, sure. Yeah. Um, I read a lot of plays. I've done a lot of like festivals where I'm a play reader or like literary teams where I read plays, and I get a lot of plays where people talk to the character that they wrote. And I'm... Yeah. And part of me is always just like... And some, sometimes the take is really good. I'm not saying they're bad. It's just sure. like... There is that part of me that's always just like, yeah, like... You're a writer, and you're you're wanting to like talk to your character. Like I get it, but like I don't know that everyone needs this story told to them. But it's, maybe. it's a level of therapy too, it in is. a way. It is. It's masturbatory. Yeah. Uh, so then in 2005, she does a pretty major work: the musical stage ad- ad- stage adaptation of the Alice Walker novel, *The Color Purple*. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now. Should Marsha Norman have been the person who wrote this? She did collaborate with Brenda Russell, Ali Willis, and Stephen Bray. Sure. Does that mean anything? I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, was Steven Spielberg the right person to direct the movie? Was like, like, there's was a lot Tony of. Was Tony Kushner the right person to write the book for Carolina Change? I mean, you sure, know. sure. You know, and I mean, uh, the argument on. there, which I think we made on the Kushner episode, the argument there that was made by a lot of people was that technically Carolina Change is from the perspective of a young Jewish boy. Right, and, the family. Yeah. Right, and so and I think I think that's, you know, there's a take to that, but then it's sort of like, okay, sure. but Janine Tesori wrote the music. It's not, you sure, know. Right, it's, right. Sure, so, sure. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of discussion around that that I don't think the three of us are really the people to have, like, no, <laughs> the, it, the it, true it debate on. <laughs> yeah, Agreed. it doesn't, you know, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't feel right, although I have, and I've not seen a production, but I have, I have sat down and, and listened to that whole cast recording, which I think oh, is pretty amazing. Cynthia Erivo. Um, so, that's how we got Cynthia Erivo. Right, right. Exactly. I mean, shit. So, um, and I did, I, I you know, I, I really liked, uh, liked that. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on the Spielberg movie. Um, although I will say that the Spielberg movie inspired a very young Scott to go read the Alice Walker novel. Oh yeah. (laughs) And, uh, yeah. And it's, well, he just neuters the hell out of it. That's the problem is that he, he didn't have the gumption to really go into a lot of the sexuality that's discussed and, um, a lot of the abuse that's discussed and, um, so I was always interested. I'm, I, I, one day I will see a production of Color Purple. But yeah, yeah, Marsha Norman, I don't know if was. I don't know. I don't know. I'll have to see it first. Yeah. I mean, it's it's all interesting. There's, there's a lot of really cool um, people who have been in the – who were in the show at different times. Uh, Michelle Williams, the singer. Uh, mm. Tanitra Michelle Williams from, yeah. uh, like, all the – she was on like billions. I feel like like I've seen her mm-hmm. on a bunch of stuff. Uh, Renee Elise Goldsberry was in was in it for a while. 
Um, Lashans was in it in the original 2005 Broadway as Silly. Silly. Uh, Fantasia was in it for a while. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, from uh, uh, fucking what's the what? What's American it Idol. Now? That one. Yeah. Uh, all very interesting. Uh, so that's Color Purple. We know Color Purple. Everyone knows Color Purple. After that, she does in 2010. The Master Butcher's Singing Club. Uh, this was a world premiere at the Guthrie Theater based on the novel by Louise El- Erdrich. Or is it Louis El- Erdrich? I, don't, I think it's Louise Erdrich. And uh, it's a play set to a song chronicling the intersecting lives of German immigrants and yeah. butchers. Oh, excuse hmm. me. One specific immigrant and one specific butcher. Um uh, nope, they're the same person. I the way that this is this review was written made it makes no sense. So I'm just gonna read this verbatim and it's gonna make better sense. Okay, uh, uh, a play sets a song that chronicles the intersecting lives of a German in- immigrant butcher. They shouldn't have put and there. Immigrant butcher Fideli and sideshow performer Delphine as they settle into the small town of Argus, North Dakota. Sounds boring. I don't care. Uh, 2011, <laughs> The Trumpet of the Swan. And I went, I've heard oh, of that. It's a yeah, musical it's stage e. adaptation White. of the E.B. White. You're right, e. Scott. White well story, done. Yeah. E.B. White book, which I read in third grade, which I loved. Yeah. And this is a, her first collaboration with Jason Robert Brown. Uh, no shit. Yeah, I, All right. when, when doing the research, I was like, this popped up and I was like, oh, I've never heard of it. I've never heard a lick of it and would be interested to check it out. Got a lot of Jason Robert Brown in my past. Oh, yeah, I've CD. worked. I've worked with Jason Robert Brown. Of course you fucking have. I really in during COVID. It was all during COVID. I'm pretty uh, sure I talked about it on the podcast. But I, I think you did. Um, I will tell more about it when we actually cover Bridges because he wrote uh, Bridges with her as well, which is the next one up. Uh, Bridges of Madison County, 2014, musical stage adaptation of the novel by Robert James Waller, uh, and she works with JRB for that one um besides that which we'll we'll cover next week besides that she hasn't come back to the stage really she's been in charge of juilliard obviously but she's done some tv specifically something i didn't even realize she wrote an episode or two i believe for the show in treatment oh Oh, yeah yeah uh which i love um Mm -hmm. i so i want to look up which episode she did and maybe rewatch them uh but yeah so that's the chronology and I appreciate y'all giving me the time. So now we should talk about the play that we're here to talk about. Uh, here it is. It's, it's Good Night Mother without the G. Night Mother. <laughs> Night Mother. Night. 1986. Yeah. Drama. Yeah. Or wait, uh, 84? 80... 81 yeah. is what I have. 81. You're right. The movie was 84. You're right. You're right. The movie um, was 86. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, Get damn. your years together, boy. I just wrote this shit down because I, I read and I watched. Well, um, so talk to me about it. First first thoughts real quick before we do the breakdown that CJ has to have every fucking episode. Jesus. <laughs> Women, um, am I right? Women. <laughs> Jesus. Um, uh, yeah, I was, I'll say I was we'll say it. pleasantly say surprised. It. With this reading, and I'll go into mm-hmm. more detail after the breakdown. See it? Yeah, I um, uh, reading it as a 37 year old woman as opposed to an 18 year old woman, I definitely got a lot more out of it, and I wish I had like a history of the times thing to read while 
covering this because I feel like she's shout. I, it's a period play. She's shouting out a lot of stuff that people were talking about at that time. Yeah. I have like read the play probably like three times for classes and seen a thousand Seeds. scenes and, and, and all these things. And I kind of came into it being like, yeah, I know what this is about. Mm-hmm. And I, but then I was like, but I've learned from this podcast that I can't do that, yeah. that I can be surprised by things. And so I was really ready to be surprised. Mm-hmm. Okay. Were you? No, uh, I will. I'll save my 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 true hot take because it's it's a little deeper into the discussion. Um, but I don't think this play. Hmm. I don't well, like it. I don't think I like it. I don't think um, I like this play. All right. And all I, right. I, I, I I I will get into it. I don't think I like this play. That's all. That's all. Okay. And that's fine. Okay. I, I think some people will really get a lot out of it. I think I ha- I have found some issue with it. I also don't know really who it's for. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know also w- what the transformation of the of each character is by the end. And I, I, I can't wait to mm-hmm. hear y'all's takes. Mm-hmm. But I, 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 I want to get into it. But first, let's give some space, Scott. Um, I'm backing <laughs> up. <sighs> We've all seen what happens. It's it's a big explosion every single time. (laughs) Every single time. It's it's It's... rage and fury and passion. CJ, you ready for your breakdown? Yes. Okay, you have the space. CJ's breakdown. Jessie spends one last planned night with her mother. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's it. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's very um, true. If I can expand or expound upon my surprise, the pleasantness of the surprise was because, uh, like you, Bailey, and we talked about it in episode one, you, this was my introduduction to Marsha Norman. It's, uh, I think it's probably everybody's intro. Probably to everybody's. And um, the number that of. That or scenes, Circus Valentine. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, and then the number of scene, scenes I've had to see over the years. And. You know, for a long time, she was one of what two or three American female playwrights that were considered women. Am I right? Right. Um, and I remember seeing the film, and it's been a while since I read the film or seen the film. And I don't even know if I have a memory of ever reading this play. But when I sat down to read it for the podcast uh, over the weekend, I was like, oh, like just, just kind of ugh. I don't want to deal with. I don't want to read a play about suicide. Sure. Um, but I sort of cranked through it and found myself liking a lot of elements. Do I love it overall? Do I think it holds up? I think that we have 40 years of, of sort of mental health awareness and psych psychological knowledge that wasn't around then, um, that makes it different. But I, I sort of walked through it and was like, all right, like I can, I wouldn't hate seeing a production of this, especially if you had two really powerhouse uh, powerhouse actresses pulling. I mean, it off. fuck, Kathy Bates was the original Jesse. Right. Yes. So you know, you yeah. don't you don't get much. I and mean, Edie Falco did it in mm-hmm. two thousand four, I think. And mm-hmm. um, you know, some some powerful folks have done it. Um, yeah, I'm interested to see if you guys feel that it it holds up or endures. 
Um, I'll shut up for a second. Let everybody else talk. But I have I have some more things to say. Yeah. I I feel a lot of things about this play. Um, I I wasn't surprised by the content. I wasn't surprised by how it rolled. It felt pretty much the same, even though it's been a while since I've read it. Um, I do vaguely remember there being a time in my life, especially because I was so hyper-Christian, the conversation about the morality of suicide. Mm. And um, I feel like something that this play, this play, I feel it, it addresses a lot of different things about suicide. I, I'm curious to know if she had a personal relationship with this that, um, made her write this or if she knew of a story of someone well, close yeah, to her. She, she had been working in, 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 uh, as a social worker in, in a variety of settings and right. uh, over the years that, that I thought, I thought I'd read that had, had inspired her. Because the biggest takeaway I had from this was that you have the two different, you have two of the most obvious different sides from people that experience this thing in life. And I feel like she embraced, I felt like she was compassionate and honest with both sides mm-hmm. about, because I, I vaguely remember there years ago being a discussion of, again, the morality of suicide and that it's your life. And if you're unhappy with it, what is your right as an individual to do with it? And I feel like, I feel like she was wrestling with that question in this play quite a bit Sure. and trying to handle it in a way that she could show people as opposed to it just being some, you know, like discussion in a classroom. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I, I, and this goes to both of what what you both just said is like because of the time and the lack of knowledge surrounding and the lack of just like people talking about it, just sure. wanting to talk sure. about it, like sure. societally not OK to talk about kind of thing. Right. There's that side of it. And then but then also compounded with what you're saying, Siege, of like this, the moral uh, discussion surrounding it and the discourse surrounding that. I I don't think this play digs into that properly and i think it becomes less about the mental state of this person because it because i i I think there's a lot of justifying that happens in this play and there's a lot of like let's tell all the reasons why she's gonna kill herself it's like sure well this happened with my husband and this happened with my this thing. And this okay. happened with my this thing. And it gives a lot of and I'm not disagreeing with either of you. What I'm sure. saying really is like is like what I kept getting was I kept run bumping into like, I don't need you to tell me why she's gonna kill herself. I actually don't need you to justify it for me because to me it is. Mm-hmm. She's doing it. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like I almost would rather watch a play where the mom kind of knows what's happening but is but is not allowing herself to talk about it Mm. i dig there's and there's i mean i don't know that's a different play but i guess just by the end i get i get into a little bit of um it's more about the external and less about the internal Mm -hmm. 
And when we're talking about mental health, it, it really is more about the internal and like, cause this woman is disturbed. She can't even see people. She doesn't even talk to people. Like right. the way they describe it is like, she's agoraphobic and you're just like, Oh, there's thing uh, disturbs a bad word. I don't mean like she's disturbed. Right. No, no, I just no. Mean like, but there's, she's going through some shit. There's other I, things going on than just, she got cheated on. Right. I and didn't get listened to by her mother her whole life. You know? Sure. I think, I think some of the things that made me feel a little bit differently about it, and it's just because of stuff that I've either listened to recently or conversations I've heard lately is the whole concept of like, I, that I've read in the past of like, if you're dealing with someone that you suspect to be suicidal, don't talk to them about all the things they have to live for in their life. Right. Mm. Because there's actually a, I think something that she embraces quite beautifully in this is the whole idea of calm of like i've found the solution to make myself feel better right. in this situation and i feel like she really embraces that with the jesse character but then i also see i mean i guess i would say boomer but in this play it would be a different generation this older generation that's religious that's scared of hell that's scared of sin and all that stuff them trying to wrestle with this decision that is completely beyond them because they don't get where the younger person is coming from yeah. it's actually kind of amazing place. that it's sissy spacek the woman who played carrie right because <laughs> that's such a similar dynamic mother daughter kind of situation um in the in the movie i mean um yeah no i hear you siege i i think this suicide aside mm -hmm. um i i think what we have to pull out of this play and, and realize and why maybe i don't connect with it as hard is is what's her name the the girl's jessie? name jesse sorry yeah jesse yeah. sorry sorry i don't know why i lost that jesse her story is already over before the play begins her journey mm. is oh, already over take, man. Yeah, before the play take. begins. I get what you're right? saying. Sure. So then, and, go ahead. No, I just see it as a look into this person's viewpoint of why I'm doing what I'm doing. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. But so right. then when I'm looking for change, when I'm looking for some kind of – what's the ending? What's the – who 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 is this play about and 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 – what is their end point from where they were at the beginning? And interestingly enough, I mean, it's called Night Mother. It's said by Jesse, but it's her mother. It is. It's a. It's a play about her mother. Mm -hmm. And 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 so that's very interesting to me. But then, I don't even know that her mother has fully gone through a transformation by the end of this play. I think the ending of the play where she just does what she says she you know which is a hor horrifying ending the yes um uh, i mean reading it and watching it both times i had a pit in my stomach you just oh, do yeah you oh just yeah do. i was you just crying by the do. end of the play and the movie yeah, yeah. and the way it's shot is actually kind of interesting like the way that they it's tom moore who i'll talk about in Can a second because tom moore rocks yeah go ahead a tiny little thing that i wanted to say in the script, the description of the set and the way they describe the bedroom that she ultimately goes yeah. into and locks her. It reminded me of the description of the bedroom in the homecoming uh -huh. where it's like, they are framing this void of space. Right. Right. And it, that's all I had to say. Go on page. Uh, what was I saying? He's talking about the oh, way Tom it was Moore, the director, oh, Tom Moore. Good. but like even the way it's filmed, the moment where it, 
where she slams the door, good night, mother, and slows the door, or night, mother, you know, and slams the door mm-hmm. uh, uh, to do it. I mean, I just had a pit in my stomach. You just, you feel it. Like, it's all yeah. there. Like, I, and, but then, you know, I mean, I also feel that in, in Chekhov plays. I also feel that, sure. yeah, I feel that in anything. I feel, I'm going to feel that way. You know, it's a horrible, horrible thing. Um, and it's a horrible thing to watch somebody have to decide um, to do. But, but what, I, and this is a question for the two of you. What is the mother's journey then? If this is the mother's story and Jesse's story is already over, she's already decided. She's already, she's packed up. She's ready to go. She doesn't mm-hmm. even get like emotional really ever. What so, is the mother's journey? Um. Oh, oh, I meant to say because the final moment, she calls the brother. She does everything she said she was going to do. And it's sort of just like, yeah, she like kind of, she did fight for her, but like. She kind of yeah. just gives in to all the shit that was bad about. Right. I don't yeah, know, she'll I never I think in a lot of ways, Bailey, it the the, the it we're seeing the beginning of her journey. Um, okay. Perhaps. Yes, agree. I don't know if that's really strongly there. That's that's just what I'm going to go with because you when you brought up your point about you know the the Jesse story is already done as the play starts mm-hmm. that this is a transition. Um, and so then what is, what is the next season of, I don't know her life. You know what I, I don't mean? Know. Like, I don't necessarily know. Cause I don't yeah. know. Right. Cause by the end of the play, I kind of go, I don't know what she does now. Cause she's kind of a dish rag. She's kind of just nothing. She's not really I, like a great mother. She's not really, I mean, well, I shouldn't say that she's, I, I also see this as kind of <laughs> she's very simple. It's a it's a little bit more. Um, I I was trying to think of it in modern day as well, and I feel like this is and obviously this is a very dark end to anyone's end of the line type of thing. But like it reminds me of the thing I was hearing a lot during quarantine of like maybe check in on your friends that aren't super social. Yeah all the time or someone that seems like they're off because I think the other, I think the other part of this story is there were several times in Jesse's lifespan that someone could have stepped in and said, Hey, what's going on? Because the other thing that struck me about this and it's, it's having to do with a completely different podcast. I was listening to do listening to about someone in older times, quote unquote, that found out they were epileptic and the road that they had to go through dealing with that and the massive depression and the physical thing that they had to kind of get used to. And that was kind of another piece of this that made me think about it a little bit harder of like, mm. it's not just been about like a failed marriage and, and maybe right. like having parents that you weren't sure about how they felt about each other and having a son that's in trouble. It's also dealing with a lifetime illness that in the fucking seventies and eighties was debilitating. Sure. Sure. You know, and I, that, that's a kind of another thing I held on to about the whole idea of like reaching out to people when it seems like maybe they're struggling a little bit and they need a, need a hand Mm. or just some concern or love, you know, as opposed to just, it's the Southern way. It's the Midwestern way. We pretend like everything's okay. And if they're not screaming out for help, then everything's okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's this movie called Me Before You. Have you ever heard of it? Mm Mm-mm. Uh, it's Amelia Clark, and okay. I believe Danny. It's a, <laughs> I believe it's a British movie. I I I'm not for sure. Oh, it's fairly um, it's, new, yeah. Yeah, 2016. It's not like the greatest movie ever, but it's a very interesting premise. It's this 
It's Sam Claflin. Oh, uh, Charles Dance is also in it. He plays his father Ooh! from Game of Thrones. So there's multiple Game of Thrones people up in here. Yeah, it's very, very British. Um, but this guy is wheelchair bound and and from the neck down, I believe, is paralyzed. Oh, but he used to be yeah. like a I rich playboy. And it's kind of a Beauty and the Beast kind of thing where Amelia Clark like comes to be sort of the person that cares for him, and then they end up falling in love. Um, but but his whole thing is like, well, but I'm I'm killing myself at the end of this three months because I just found out that I can't. Um, That's that I'll never film walk that, again. A Spanish film that I saw years ago with Javier Bardem in it. Yeah, I mean, this is it's a remake of a remake of a remake. I mean, there's a million um, of these kind of stories. But the point is, like, at the end of this, um, his whole thing is like, just spend my last like months with me. Don't don't try to convince me to fucking stay here. Like, just spend my last months with me. And so, like, there's this back and forth. There's this is whole other debate. I don't think we should have right now. Uh, oh, the but, sea inside but, was the film. But I was basically, be- between what you're saying, Siege, and what I'm saying. There's there's a good debate between like should we go get them or like whose responsibility is it is the other side of that right. coin right and like I don't think it's because everyone's dealing with their own shit I don't think it's anybody's responsibility to protect someone from killing themselves period agreed sure I don't sure, think sure, anyone sure. should ever have to go do that for somebody else but as people who when we are in times of our life where we have the extra energy and extra ability to do it you should be checking in on everyone that you care about that is close to you and not just people that like seem sad right because like sure there are people who you have no idea are going through it like it's kind of what this play ends up being about in a weird way is she's like i had no idea you were this sad i know you're dealing with all this shit but i didn't know you were this sad and she's sure. like of course you did we just don't talk about it right, right? but it's like th- there's that's a different side. That's different. That's mother daughter shit. That's that's southern <laughs> shit. That's it sure all that. is. My family and I deal with that. Like this whole, we we don't talk about things. You know, sure, we, we yeah. just it, it all just gets swept under the rug, and that's better. And I've started to get into this thing now, and I think I did it to y'all the other day. Actually, I've started to get into this thing where when I'm like really close with people, and I like really love people. I'm, I'm like really over politeness with them. And I don't mean that I don't, I'm not going to be polite. I just mean like, I don't need it from them anymore. Especially, mm-hmm. it's, and, and the reason I've, I've imposed it on my friends is because my family refuses to let go of the, the and we, because no decision ever gets made because yeah. we're all trying to please each other. Yeah. So it's this constant like, well, I don't know what I want to eat. What do you want to eat? Well, I, I whatever mom wants. And mom's like, well, I'm down for anything. And then it gets passed to me. And then I just go. Then it takes it. forever. To, yeah. And then I go, OK, well, then let's go to Mexican food. And then three people go, I don't want Mexican food. And you go, okay, well, what the fuck? So <laughs> I, I, I just hate it with my family. And so right. when I now I see it everywhere. <laughs> and so right. when it's happening between friends, I've started started to like with people i really give a fuck about i started to be like guys can you just be like fuck you bailey buy me a taco like seriously like that's <laughs> for where me I'm it's at apologizing now. too much especially yes, in groups I, of women i'm like can we yeah. stop apologizing you're wasting my time right and now and i know i'm a dick to you about it siege because you <laughs> apologize way too much but i and scott it's you too and y'all y'all thank each other constantly which i love it's very kind but sometimes i'm just like yeah you had to upload the episode good 
good. You know what I mean? Like, we're but, like, having a thank production you. meeting you. right now. The thing. No, we're having a we're having a talk. It takes about... a lot of work, Bailey. No, we're ta- we're having a talk about relationships and responsibility and the, right and, and what it means to really give a fuck about somebody. And honestly, to me, and everyone's definition of this is different. What it means to be family, and I have found that I feel a huge di- disconnection. My family doesn't listen to this podcast. So I don't give a fuck. I, I my, I, I, I feel a huge disconnect with my family. This is my therapy session for the week because, I, because we are constantly feeling the need to have that gap between us of like, but I want to make sure you're not judging me, but also like I want to make sure that I'm doing everything, uh, that's good for you. And it, it, it feel it can look from the outside as caring for each other but actually it's in your head it's your own insecurity about what the other person thinks about you sure. and i hate it it's so southern it's so fucking southern oh my and family just unloads and ignores and that's that it. too well we don't unload there's just never an unload nah, that's my the problem. last time with my family was a big unload anyway uh but we repress <laughs> would you prefer repress or unload uh i go to therapy so i just do everything right <laughs> got it uh, <laughs> sure um, you do with me you do everything right with me but you just you i want you both to understand and I'm, I'm saying this here on the podcast for everyone to hear i want you both to understand <laughs> that if i'm ever not being super polite or apologetic or any of those it's because i fucking love you and i feel like we've moved past that <laughs> That's it. Copy Because I am that way at work, and I am that way with people I don't know very well, and I am that way with people I respect and disrespect who I, who I don't you're know You're like that well. with everybody is what you're saying. I'm like that with people I don't love. Oh. Yeah. And once oh. I love you, I'm sort of I like, dig. you know what? When you're really polite. Yeah. Mouths and butts are the same thing. Let's talk about it. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? That's right. where we're at. I love you guys, and I love all of our listeners except you, Tom. Fuck you, Tom. Fuck you, Tom. Um. Uh, we don't need to discuss it, but the last thing that I did pick up from reading this was, um, she definitely covers the seven stages of grief in a 65 page play. Oh, I almost, interesting. I almost wonder if that was the outline, the right? Exercise. Like dealing with it in real time as opposed to after this horrible thing happens and then you because deal with it. Actually, CJ, that take makes me go, oh, fuck the journeys. That's what it is. That's actually mm-hmm. kind of cool. If yeah. that's what it is, is it's it's just an exploration of the seven stages of grief <laughs> um, of something that hasn't happened yet in a weird way. I'm actually kind of into that. That's kind mm. of an interesting thing. I mean, that's what I saw quite a bit. Is it a Pulitzer Prize winning play? I, I enjoyed this play more than y'all did, so... Yeah, I mean, I I, I just I don't it. think I, th- I I mean one of six my out big of ten. <laughs> gentlemen six like I six out of ten like truly I, this, oh, I, I'll go higher than that I'll go I'll go seven you know sure. just for me for me one of my big tests for anything is endurance yeah. does it hold up does it keep going I think that there's a point where if somebody were to do a production of it today I'd be like what's your what's your take on that like what are you doing here um, I, oh, can I quickly say something before we start wrapping things yeah. up? Nope. So she does one thing at the same time that I love and hate. Uh-huh. She has very, very fantastically detailed doings. And she she gives them to her actors. Mm-hmm. So that whole thing, that whole you can feel the pacing of it while reading it. 
She's sure. doing this. She's doing her tasks, and they're very, Filling very candy specific. bowls, folding laundry. But where she can go fuck herself is that mm-hmm. she imposes as, as stage directions. Right. Mm. So if you're a director doing this, you have to do that. You have to do the, what it's saying, and which is fine, but there's no room. Well, I don't know. The way it's written, I don't know how far you can stray because sure. she doesn't she doesn't set up a thing where she's like over the course of the scene um jesse is going to be emptying the trash can filling the candy jars changing the honey jars doing all doing all of those things instead it's very specific she says this line then she does this thing well we have the whole directing freedom thing right i mean there could be some metaphor symbolism shit going on there i'm not picking up i don't know sure well and to be honest like other in certain moments i don't know from what i've learned from theater school the only stage directions that you stick with that were written by the playwright are either shaw or chekhov otherwise it's like i don't know but like when you read nottage they matter like so much and Mm -hmm. i i you know i'm (sighs) nottage's shit all is isn't all in one room the whole time though it's all over the place this is in one room of a house it's in like a living room of a house well i get you i don't know that has to do with me i mean what i'm more talking about manager put all that shit in is what i think no i'm talking more about like like okay august wilson we've talked about this a hundred times like people who have like poetic stage directions that aren't just like stage left right you know it's like no like they move because this matters and this is how they move and this is why. Like there's mm-hmm. a lot of there's a lot of plays that have that that aren't Shaw and Chekhov and I'm not, you know, I'm just saying but like the other side of that though is that I think the the and maybe we I guess we did this in college too, but I have found in high school especially is where I learned this and then college and then and moving forward we tend to just like not even read the stage directions a lot of the time like when we're uh first starting on a play that the director tends to be like no no no, we're not yeah throw all those out i'm directing this play and you're just like sure but i would argue that there are some playwrights is she one of them no there are some playwrights (laughs) that i really think their stage directions matter i don't think her stage directions matter that much and i don't know if you're fully held to them but i mean right. maybe i don't know i don't know i think maybe i was a little more connected to these characters too where it was like I, it is a character that's literally getting her super objective by the end of this play sure the super objective of her life yeah and i connected to the whole idea of like i got this big fucking to-do list to do before i go to bed tonight mm-hmm. and yeah. so i was i don't know i i was with them i was with the both of them through the whole play even with all of the fussy putting on the couch covers and right. all of that yeah. stuff so no, and i love all that i think the writing of this play really works i like i like them both i think most of my dislike of it is um the the overall time. theme thrust and okay. yeah but also just like the time it was written like i just think it's like of course it won the pulitzer it was the first time you know america decided to actually fucking talk about its mental health issues i don't know you know what i mean like yeah. it's like it's kind of like very american that this won the pulitzer prize in my opinion because it's kind of like the shallow version of what it could be in 2022 Right. You know, like if someone wrote this now, it would be a lot probably deeper and, and, and deal with the more of the internal maybe. Um, but like, I think 
I think this play is interesting. I, again, I, I give it a 6 out of 10. I give Circus Valentine a 3 out of 10. Um, <laughs> maybe lower. Um, it, is it my least favorite play we've read on this podcast? No. Do I dislike it? No. I don't. I actually don't even think I dislike this play as much as I just don't know what its place is now. Mm. And I especially watching it was really with it i was listening to them the dialogue really works i like the flow i was connecting with sissy a lot my mom and my grandmother especially are that character like i mean i was i i was i mean it was hitting me in my feels in the right ways it was i was connected to it i think i just ended the ended the play especially when i read it watching it was different i just kind of just let it wash over but i finished reading it and i was just like man i have more qualms with how little it says about suicide than I do about everything else. And it's only because of where I'm at, like sure. socially and all my experience with, with that kind of shit. And I just think it's, um, it's just, that's where I'm at about it. It's not that I dislike the play. It's good. Sure. I Maybe think the other thing that, been 10 out of 10. sure. I think another thing that hooked it in for me personally right now with modern day times is they talk about, it comes up a couple times of watching the news and her being like, that's part of it. Yeah. yeah. I just because realized... I had countless conversations with people during quarantine that were like, I just can't watch it anymore. It makes me crazy. It makes me depressed, you know? Right. I know that these episodes usually go long, these middle ones, but we've gone, like, way over. I apologize. Oh, that's fine. Um, that's absolutely my fault. I apologize. Um, I just talked and talked and talked and talked. Uh, okay. To talk about. <laughs> so should we s- s- lit the spits? Yes. Yeah. With the spits. Okay, LA right Spotlight. Now. LA Spotlight. Fringe. Fringe is happening. Fringe is happening, y'all. The Hollywood Fringe, Fringe Festival. It's really exciting. Like it's Come just see your shows. The energy around all of it and all the venues has been really fucking amazing. Go out and see it. Uh, I'll hype our show one more time. Three guys, one group on showing at the Broadwater main stage. Go to hollywoodfringe.org. Get your tickets. we got a show on Friday. got another one on Sunday. Um, it's 45 minutes. Uh, you'll laugh. You'll cry. You'll feel it in your pants. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's probably true. Siege, you got it? Um, yes, I got the show that I'm producing, Let's Get Silly. It's a live recording of a podcast. But also over this last weekend, I just saw one of the shows that um, – is going for our award it's in our bones at the stephanie fury studios it's uh written and directed by nick buddha produced by liz buddha um i've never been to the stephanie fury studios and they are a coolest shit space so they've got a lot of stuff going on there so check it out everybody i also saw something at the stephanie fury studios i saw it last night actually Uh, i caught a performance of steps of glory which yeah. I uh, really enjoyed. It was a, a solo performance of a uh, an actress who also wrote it, and she was playing Lord Byron. <gasps> no shit. Um, and I don't want to give anything else away. She does play someone else, but I think everyone should go check it out. Uh, it's All a right. small theater, so you got to get your tickets. I don't think there's a ton of performances. I think there's only three. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I liked it a good deal and i think people will too um and so uh we're seeing these shows because we're sponsoring the theater theater 
Playwright Award. Playing so these playwrights award. are getting added to this list where we are going to uh, read all of these plays as well, all three of us, especially if we can't all three catch them. We're going to try to. Uh, but then we're going to uh, read all of the scripts, and one of these people is going to win an entire mini series on the podcast about them. <laughs> three whole episodes. We might just do two. We'll do two whole episodes. Three's a lot. It's hard enough to do with these playwrights. But we're going to read any other plays that they have. We're going to like really talk about them as if they are a, one of the greats. And and because they are. Because they're in a, a lot Hey, if Angeles you're doing level. it, you're one of the greats. If you're doing it, you're oh, one of the greats. Yes. Fuck so we're going to cover you, and uh, we might give a few shout-outs at the uh, final ceremony as well as some honorable mentions. And we just – we're so excited that we get to see so many plays. We're seeing, like, 28 plays or some shit. Yeah, it's Which fun. is crazy. Um, and then uh, Steps of Glory, It's in Our Bones. Scott? Oh, I was just going to say, and check out our Fringe Blasts. Like, uh, we're, oh. we're going to – we're gonna have fringe blasts, little ten minute episodes where we talk to people. We uh, actually already dropped one on Wednesday. Go listen oh, to it. Yeah, ten we did. We've long. already we might already uh, have yes. two out by the time this comes That's out. That's true. We, we might have two. Yeah. Oh we're, gonna, we're gonna work on it. So yeah. We're calling them fringe blast. Yeah, fringe I blast. love that. Cool. Well, uh yeah, check crazy. those out. Listen to it. We shout some people out. We interview some people. We inter- interview Patrick Duffy, owner of the Broadwater, uh, and um uh uh, amazing man and um, lover Beer maker. And- <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, that's all the spotlights we have. Come see Uncle Vanya at the Pasadena Playhouse. And uh, thank you for joining us for part two of three of our miniseries on Marsha Norman. That's right. It's cast Podther. The last thing <laughs> that Sissy Spacek says before she slams the door. Um, and uh, after this week we have one more we're covering bridges of madison county after that we have an mm stuff we're watching peter pan live <gasps> maybe it's a bailey no. pick no we gotta plan that we gotta no, find we gotta, we, to do no, that. we're no, already we'll do. seeing so many shows we gotta we'll, find a peter pan night peter pan night uh so <laughs> uh and then after that who are we covering cj Oscar Wilde. We're doing Oscar Wilde. I was going to do the game, but it's too easy. I think we're doing the importance of being podcast. Oh. Uh, yeah. Or should we do something else? The podcast of being earnest? (laughs) Uh, There it is. I'm going to steal a kids in the hall bit, and I will do it for the entire series. Oscar Wilde. He sure was. He sure was. Yeah, that's a funny. Nerds. Nerds. Um, Okay. The new season Uh, of Kids in the Hall is brilliant. I haven't watched it yet. It's so good. So good. Uh, Okay. So that's all I got. Y'all have questions or comments or maybe you want to tell me how cool I am. Uh, You can email us. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Scott. Thank you, CJ. A big shout out to the fantastic Ryan Johnson, who writes our theme song. And our theme song is better than your theme song. It's true. He also writes all of our stingers. He's an amazing human being. Also, a big shout out to Pamela Quinn, who wrote our Marsha Norman-centric song, which is beautiful and lovely. And you're about to hear it, so don't go away. Uh, And finally, to the great, brilliant, Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright Annie Baker for writing every single one of our episodes. And she doesn't even know it. And one day, Annie Baker, we're going to buy you a beer. Yes. I-P-A. Okay, so... I, 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna drop a little thing right here. 
Okay, this is me. This is me talking to you specifically, listener. Okay, hi, listener. If you got this deep into the podcast, you are truly a real one. You are one of the coolest people on this planet, and I think you're. I think you're amazing, and I love you. And if you go and write us a review, if you've already done it, go ahead, go away. When I'm talking, I'm not talking to you. But if you if you can go write us a review, all you have to do is leave five stars and then say something really mean. Be like, this podcast is fucking trash. Five stars. Okay? That's all I need. <laughs> but, I, but I'll know that you're a real one if you made it, like, kind of negative. I'll be like, but still gave five stars. If you don't think we're a five-star podcast, then don't then you don't have to do this. But I'm just – this is – thanks. Love you. Okay. Bye. Secret. The minute you walked in the joint, burner. <laughs> I can see you were a man of distinction, a real big spender, <laughs> good looking, so refined. Bomba. Say, wouldn't you like to know what's going on in my mind? I fucked that up. It's what? <laughs> it doesn't matter. Ah, uh, so let me get right to the point. <laughs> I don't pop my cork for a. Every sky I meet. You don't. Na, 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 na. Hey, big CJ. Boom, 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 boom. Take your mouth and butt with me. <laughs> Later, everybody.